Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. She's back, everybody. Thank God. She's back. She's back. She's back. So for those of you who have been listening for the last few weeks, you won't have noticed any difference because we're that organized <laughs> and we have been pre-recording episodes. There was no change in our usual submissions. We still had Igazi and Obi, the double act. However, in reality. And don't on LinkedIn, there's no change. <laughs> yeah, but the, in reality, it's been a very different story behind the scenes because Obi was off for the whole of april yeah and the latter part of um of march and the early part of may so she's back thank god so <laughs> do you want to tell our listeners why yeah. you were away yeah i i don't mind knowing because i did like i said them on social media already anyway but um i uh had i went into for surgery for a uh, something called a myomectomy. So it's the removal of fibroids. For those of you, you know, um, a non-cancerous, so they're not like, but like having tumors growing inside your womb, really. So, and I've been on a wait list for 22 months and um, it's been a long slog. And I think we talked about it, um, well, I have mentioned it before, about how long, even though it was a physical health issue, physical health challenge, it affected my mental health because you can't solve it because it's, you know, you need surgery to remove the thing that was causing the issue. So it was a long slog. So I'm glad that that's over with. Well, some of it's over with. I still have the endometriosis to grapple with. But that's a whole different story for a whole different conversation when we talk about women's health at some point. But yes, I'm back. It was not the easiest. There's a part of me that was like, okay, I'm going to have this done. It'll be so easy. At least I'll get back to normal. And I was concerned about the pain because we're going to be an open surgery. It's a major surgery. So, you know, all of that stuff that comes with it. And I don't like pain. Most of you, people who know me know I can't. I'm just she really does Honestly, not like I pain. Can't, I can't do pain well at all. So the idea of being cut open, obviously, obviously, but the healing part was what I was so scared of. But I actually managed it. You know, when you're like, oh, I can actually, I can do a thing. <laughs> so I'm back, feeling much better. Um, back into work again um, two weeks ago, just slowly, slowly. And I wouldn't lie, it is. It wasn't just the physical manifestation of the surgery and all of that. It's also the mental jungle gym of one minute you're okay, feeling really well, feel energetic. And hey, I don't need my medication anymore, pain meds anymore. And the next day, like, why is this happening to me? Mm. <laughs> and and feeling not good enough or not being able to help or that kind of then it was not good. And then being back at work is nice, but I get so tired. Honestly, I get so tired, y'all. Like literally two minutes or two hours of just doing some work and I'm wiped out, went to back to bed. It had, but it's part of the process. It's part of the healing process. It's part of what your body is designed to do. Even though you don't feel it doing anything, it's doing a lot of work. And I think that's, I have to say, is what I appreciate most about it. What my body or our bodies are able to do on a day-to-day basis without us thinking about it until they either fail or, you know, they don't work as well. And that, you know, 
very true about mental health. We take it, but we take it for granted. We assume that our mental health would be just as easy, just as clear. We'll know when things aren't working, but it might take a while before that apparent that it's not working. And then all of a sudden you're like in a situation. So yeah, it's good to be back, but oh my God, the amount of le- the learning and just like, whoa. Yeah. Learning? What learning? Just the fact that I've never had surgery before, at least not to this level. Um, and so the anxiety of what that was going to be, um, if I was going to die, instead. I mean, that, the whole fear, knowing it like the things in the window, all these stats there, this is not the kind of thing you die from, right? Um, and all of that, there was still this fear, um, had to have a blood transfusion, so that, that would expected. There's all these things that just added to this mind chat of, oh my God, what if, what if things happen? But actually they don't happen. Um, and it's easy to, when things are going well, to be upbeat and positive, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that's what I would say about that, to learn about that. I mean, for from my perspective, this was a classic example in live colour of the stuff that we talk about day in, day out. Because as anyone who's attended any of our roundtables, any of our workshops, or even had a, a one-to-one consultation with me, we talk about the fact that... Um, we like to, to as people, we like to distinguish between the physical and the mental health absences yeah. and the impact of that on our workforce. But what I'm always telling you is a lot of physical health conditions and illnesses will have a mental health impact, right? So OB's fibroids and the surgery is a physical health condition, straight up. Yeah. But the impact that that had on her mental well-being was from an outsider's perspective from my perspective it was very obvious yeah. it um it left you on a bit of an emotional roller coaster yeah which is unusual for you because you are a classic stoic yeah assertive type personality yeah yeah so for you to you i think that left you feeling very um disconcerted and uh, uneasy about the fact that you weren't in control of your emotions anymore and and it had an impact on me as well because I didn't know what I could say and what was going to set you off what I could do and for me also watching you go through this whilst I was carrying the weight of the business in the busiest time of our year um, that was the that was the well being black hole in practice. Mm. It really was because by the after the fourth week, I thought I've only got two more weeks to go. If it's any more than that, I don't know I'll be able to cope because I was l- literally doing everything sixteen hour days, five six days a week. It was a bit too much for me, and uh, it's all the stuff we talk about. But it it really is true, which is good because it shows that our theory. Is sound, yeah. It mm-hmm. does. I mean, you're not going to assume that just one person is off set that it wouldn't affect the rest of the team, or it would just be able to just handle it. Not really. The productivity will drop to some level. You might be able to say, "Could there be something that you didn't bother doing? Like, can't do them. I have to go do the most important bit." Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, you have to get cover or whatever they cost money to do all that. So it's not. I mean, it's exactly what love organizations you all out there are dealing with. 
but it's just the fact that you can't assume that it won't affect a whole team or the productivity won't go down and somebody will feel like they're carrying more than the other. This is the whole thing that caused issues within teams. And I mean, last week was Mental Health Awareness Week, right? And some extended it all the way to whole of May. And then there was the idea of, okay, everybody's doing that. Now I'm thinking, mental health awareness week, how has it helped me? Not really. It hasn't really helped. I mean, that's the whole point. It can't be a whole week. Um, it's a whole year of it, of dealing with your mental health. So I get the idea of why mental health week is important or mental health month, depending on what you guys are what you're celebrating out there. And we know it's a good idea for HR leaders to want to take part in it, get their people to take part of it and other similar awareness days. And we don't have any, I don't have anything particularly against it. We just know why people do that. You know, you promote understanding and empathy. It provides opportunity to increase awareness and understanding of other people's mental health and blah, 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 blah. The one day where everybody can be remembered to be kind, like you need one day to remember that. Okay. Um, reducing stigma and discrimination. All of that stuff, very helpful, sharing stories, just like me and I just shared this story about me going through this surgery, right? It's a classic example and the recovery back to it of making it more inclusive, supportive workplace. Great. I get why we do it and all of that. But the problem that I still, I have with it is that since the pandemic, because when, you know, mental health was taken more seriously, we can all see through it now. All of us professionals, all of us leaders, employees, we see through it now. So I know it can be a bit bullshit. You know it's bullshit. I know that you know that I know that it might be a bit bullshit. So we know that. And it's becoming quite overwhelming with organizations. That's a lot of knowing. It's true, though. <laughs> but overwhelming with organizations, organizing speakers and panels, they're all similar formula now. Which by itself is not an issue. But it can seem like TikTok, like it's like, where is the real work behind the scenes? Where is the support? Where is the investment? Where where are all those things? And of course, we do all that, you know, repeat again next year again. So Mm -hmm. that's where it's like, I'm glad we're doing it. But three years on, post-pandemic, and for us, longer since we started our business in mental Mm -hmm. health, like we need to see, I'd want to see more of that. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but... Well, I think that's why we're discussing in this episode why why Mental Health Awareness Week isn't going to improve our mental health. It is just that. It's a it's a, a, a limited awareness week. And I think the frustration from our perspective, from culture change specialists who are promoting good mental health and well-being is, when are we going to move beyond awareness to real improvement change something of substance so this is not to tear down mental health awareness week this is to say we need to go beyond that so here are our key points that that highlight the limitations of only relying on mental health awareness week to drive your corporate mental health and well-being strategy and initiative, right? First one, obviously, it's its limited duration and the fact that it's a general scattergun approach. It is something that only lasts for seven days, whereby your employees... A month, depending on whether or not you're doing a whole month of it. So, no. That's true. Yeah. But 
your employees will have good or bad or middling mental health 365 <laughs> days of the year. They will have it every yeah. day. In my case, 22 months, isn't it? So you will have it ongoing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what are you doing in that week, in that short, limited week or month that is going to have a long-term effect on your employees' well-being? That's the question. Yeah, because you can't address the complexity of people's mental ill health or mental health challenges in a limited time frame. And then it's also, well, it has to be by very nature, awareness days are targeted at everybody, but mental health challenges are specific to the individual. And so a one size fits all approach of, okay, everybody this week, we're going to do exercise or this week we're going to volunteer or this week, it doesn't work to address necessarily that individual's challenges. Um, so yeah. what are you doing to use this platform as simply a springboard for more bespoke support solutions? Yeah. What can you do about that? I think, um, I, I think if I, I think if we're going to do it, so thinking ahead for next year or the next awareness days coming, that if you could consider making them more specific, more interactive, more interactive workshops. So don't, you know, a talk is great because I know you're trying to involve the whole organization. So why mm-hmm. people would like to do talks and panels. Everybody can attend. But I'm thinking, yes, it's great, but we want to be able to go and deep dive a little bit more. So being able to put on, in addition to your talk and panel, let's assume that worked. And I think that's great for everybody to be able to get on board with. And it shows your entire organization that you take this seriously, right? But to add to that, you have specialized training or workshop where you can address specific challenges that your employees have said over the past few months, because you will have done a survey, right? About the kind of things that they're particularly struggling with. So it might be like, for example, a specific workshop around managing your workload, okay? Or uh, returning back to work after a long time off from either illness or maternity, whatever that is, managing reoccurring anxiety or depressive episodes. So you might decide that there'll be people in the organization who have recurring episodes and you want them to be able to talk about how that would, how they can be supported to minimize it in the in in longer term, right? That's very specific. So you will survey your people to find out what they want to do. And then you can now go, right, these are this is what they're saying they need. It's a specific issue. And then not everybody has to attend that workshop. It's not a free-for-all. It is, if it's for you, if these are your challenges currently. So some group will need different things. And that is how to make sure that your people are being heard, they're asking for, they get an opportunity to ask for what they need and how they can support you with getting what they need. So one organization that we're working with had initially rolled out a anti-racism training across the organization, top to bottom, everybody's doing this training. And also they can recognize that there'll be some specific group of people, usually the um, minority ethnic group, who would have needed extra support or extra focus simply because this topic alone would be would trigger them. 
So what they had to do was organize a separate reflective practice session for those affected people. Okay, so not everybody needed it, just certain groups of people, which allowed them to work through some of the stuff, healing aspects of it, and to be able to ask and learn how to ask for what they need. That way, you're not constantly having to survey your people. They would tell you when they the need had come up for them. So that's the example I wanted to, to talk about. Another example is the other organization who would specific program for pe- women returning back to work, either maternity or other leave to be able to help them build their confidence up. That was a very unique and specific program that you could do during mental health awareness at any time of the year, frankly, that will help them address specific issues that have come up as a result of mental health or not being at work for a while, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. The other, let's call it a suggestion for improvement to your mental health awareness week um, activities is to make sure that you accompany the awareness raising with specific support. So what happens when you raise everybody's awareness of mental health and particularly the signs of poor mental health is that you will get a proportion of people who suddenly go, oh no, I was very careful there. I didn't swear. (laughs) Do you see? There's no bleeping out from me this episode. Well, you will get a proportion of people who go, that's me. And what do those people then do? Because you've raised their awareness that actually they're not well. Now they need to have support. Do you provide that support? And do you let them know where it is? and how they can access it. Is it adequate? Because there's a responsibility that's associated with increasing people's awareness of things. Yeah, It's to make sure that they're okay with that increased understanding. So organizations have to have comprehensive strategies and make sure that Mental Health Awareness Week and any mental health awareness raising activity is a part of a broader strategy that includes prevention, education, destigmatization, early intervention, and accessible support services. So do you know if your EAP has the services that they claim to have? A lot of organizations brought in um, employee assistance programs pre-pandemic A lot of these organizations, these EAP companies, had claims to be able to support to a reasonably high level. You'd get 24-7 access. Mm -hmm. You'd be able to get six sessions. You'd have your choice of counselors. And then we had the pandemic Mm -hmm. and the demand for those services increased. Similarly, since we've had the economic crisis, So pressure on EAP providers to keep costs low means that actually the level of service that you think you're going to get may not be what is on offer. Find out. Um, When we um, speak to the leaders that we train in businesses on our Rise of the New Leader training program or our transformational leadership programs, We actually make sure that each single person has personally 
tested the EAP before they finish the sessions because they need to know how effective it is. How quickly is the phone picked up? What do I need to provide as information? Mm. How many different counselors or coaches or therapists or doctors do I have access to? And what are their specialisms? Do they cover unique things like racial trauma? Mm -hmm. Do they, do they, do they provide the number of sessions that will be required to heal me of whatever it is that ails me? And what happens when I've reached my limit? These are questions you as a responsible manager need to know the answer to before you palm your employee off on the system yeah. that's supposed to help them. So check those because relying solely on a week of awareness may not lead to the improvements in mental health outcomes that you want to see. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, and, and, and having said that, when we talk about the EAP and the fact that we've got a rising cost of living, um, all of the stuff that are challenging right now for our economy and other economies as well, that there's, we have to consider there's systemic changes that are required that have nothing to do with the organisation. These are global, these are national, whatever. So while awareness is essential and addressing mental health challenges, all of that stuff we're talking about, a lot of it needs change on the societal level, organisational level, policy level, so all of that stuff. So a single week isn't, you know, mental health awareness isn't going to take care of that, but it might be an opportunity to be able to address government on some of those things that are missing. We still have a long wait list, NHS long wait. I've already talked about my surgery, right? 22 months it took me to get that date, to get the surgery. Um, prior to the pandemic and all that long wait list, it probably would have been about 69 months, depending on where I, where I lived. I lived in London now, I lived in Manchester. Now I live in London then, I meant to say. So I don't know whether or not I would have waited much longer if I was in London, but I have no idea. The point is, these are issues that currently are affecting our organisation. If the NHS has a long wait list, which means our people, your employees, are also waiting and when they're waiting for even physical health issues will affect their mental health while they're waiting because they get worse physical health stuff get worse when it's not being treated right mm -hmm. so there is something about trying to figure out how we're going to do that so for example just a piss poor example of the bbc documentary last it was week. panorama wasn't it the panorama, panorama so expose on yes. adhd assessments which but, I really didn't want to watch because well, I feel like it was going to make my life as a recently diagnosed adhd -er more difficult. difficult. And I have to say, it was the, the whole, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, is the BBC had an expose, a panorama about um, ADHD assessment done by dodgy private practitioner. And, you know, first of all, we don't want dodgy practitioners trying to do assessment for ADHD because they have no business doing and doing it in 10 minutes and online without even seeing the patient. No. But what we what we heard nothing about was the wait list that's currently three to five years for, depending on where you live, of course, which has contributed to this fake assessment. Nothing about how the NSF were going to sort that out. Nothing about even where... If you were worried about, okay, I've got ADAD, uh, ADHD uh, potential, um, I can't wait for three years. 
one, they're going to need to pay privately. Nothing about how you would get appropriate, credible people. Like nothing about where to find them. Not nothing about that. So this is what we're trying to say. It's just sort of systemic issue. So I, I get that. I just remember that assessment. Mm-hmm. And I just found it very annoying because that means the people who've been diagnosed with ADHD privately. Why can't you say I it? I don't still? know why I can't say it. ADHD. <laughs> ADHD. ADHD. Yes. <laughs> can't. They, what they have to do now is go and pay to be able to get access to support at work. So you would, an employer, expecting them to have an assessment so that you can support them with ways of working and all that, but they can't get the assessment because it's a long wait list. So some of them will have to go private and afford them, and then it turns out they're being defrauded certain places. Um, so, yeah, that, that really bugged me about the fact that it works. So nothing about how we're waiting for a long time for stuff. But mm-hmm. they're going to not drop that off over the carpet, right? I was going to say something about our Tory government, but I'll keep my political beliefs to myself. Also, the fact is, Mental Health Awareness Week raises our understanding and our, obviously, our ability to identify existing mental health conditions. But what about preventing them in the first place? Can we learn more about how you prevent common mental health disorders? Um, We do this in our Angel of Wellbeing. Yeah. workshops and talks because for me uh what is it um an ounce of pre- prevention is better than cure i can't remember what it is but prevention, prevention is, is better than cure. than cure yeah it is it's much better to to not get ill in the first place so if there are things that you can do that reverse common mental health disorders at an early stage or stop them from developing or preventing in uh, uh, presenting in the first place yeah do those do we share enough of that during Mental Health Awareness Week? No, I don't. I don't think we do. I think we talk about how to solve issues, um, but I don't think we do enough about prevention because I think prevention might just sound boring. I think it just sounds boring to people um, because it's like, oh, okay, well, we're not dealing with a problem, so why are mm-hmm. we talking about it right now? Yeah. But it is cheaper, um, and it is more. You get more bang for your buck. It's more return on investment when we spend our resources, limited resources, right? You all haven't got enough money, you know, rolling in it in your organisation. So you're going to have to be proactive and specific about where this money goes. And we believe that that money is going more to prevention of issues so that it doesn't keep rising. Because there's no point dealing with a problem and dealing with the actual symptom of it, but you're not dealing with where it comes from mm-hmm. or what had caused that. So, for example... If somebody's not got anxiety and they've been dealing with it for a while um, and then decide, you know what, I'm just going to get some help. You supported them to go and get some help with your EAP. And they said, okay, you've got six sessions of CBT. That's cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the most effective for things like anxiety in the person, right? When it's not too bad. Because when it's bad, then you need medication on top of that, if that makes sense. So this return on investment of someone going to get CBT it's only two to one because this is an effective person now. In other words, their productivity had already dropped. They're not functioning as they would want to. Um, and so by the time they've now decided to go and get some help, it's already, it's not good. So the return on investment is two to one. Compare that with preventative measures, like training managers properly 
to identify signs? Did they have checked that EAP does what he says it's going to do? But when they're now encouraging their staff to go and seek help in a circle of trust that they've created, that ROI is nine to one. Because before this person had decided or had recognized that anxiety might be pledging, that might be pledging her, they have now gone, okay, what is that? I feel a bit uncomfortable. I feel a bit anxious. This only started a week ago, but I know the cause of that. I know because I now have this extra workload so I can go and get some help now before it becomes something I can't manage and need to require more and more and more support and allowed me to be out of work for six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. For whatever reason it is, leaving my team to be able to deal with the the hole I've left, right? So those are the things I'm talking about. So I just feel if more leaders and more, I know that some leaders are not even convinced really about the return on investment of preventative measures. And that's because, well, if you don't see it, then why are we talking about? But actually, I think that it's a better, it's better than doing nothing. Or it's assuming. a smarter play. It's a smarter play. It will save you money. Every research have said that. Deloitte or the big guns have said that it did. So you don't need to take our word for it at all. But as a practitioner, I can tell you for a fact, after treating someone for anxiety and they've gone back to work, it takes a while to go back to work. I've come back to work from, from surgery, right? I'm still not 100%. Like two weeks, I'm not 100%. I won't be for another six weeks. Don't tell me that. Sorry, but I won't be. I'll be trying to remember my words. I'll try to remember what did I do again. I'll have the insecurity about why I don't know what I'm doing anymore because that's what happened to you when your body is going through issues that they need to heal. That is just the fact of the matter. So we'd require more and more support. But preventative matter, think of it as my physical health. If this, uh, if this fibroid would cut out of me 22 months ago, I'd be a much different individual. Right? I would have healed quicker faster I wouldn't be trying to heal my mental health more I'd have therapy throughout in which that have been helpful and that's my preventative measure but the damage had already been done in so to speak so it would take a while for me to be able to get back to my optimum and that means my optimum not necessarily in guys' optimum but mine which is it's for me right so that's what we want to be able to say imagine if it's an individual everybody in your organization or you as a leader are up to your best level your best self how much creative could you be, right? How much productivity would you generate? How much insight would you have, right? How much motivation would you have to be able to share to others? How much empathy would you have for other people? Those things are priceless. You cannot put price on them at all, but you could in the return of investment. You probably probably could. So in conclusion, yes, we fully support Mental Health Awareness Week, Mental Health Awareness Month, anything that helps people to understand that mental health is as important to take care of as physical health, but recognize its limitations. It serves as a starting point. It's an opportunity for us to start these conversations, promote understanding, but it needs to be complemented with ongoing efforts and comprehensive strategies if you want to have a lasting impact on your employees' mental health. So HR leaders, seize the opportunity. Use this as a chance for you to review your overall mental wellbeing strategies and culture change strategies to ensure that your workplace is a psychologically safe place 
for your employees to work. That's it. That's it. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show note and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.